Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome in Jesus' name. Uh, Pastor Adam is gone on vacation uh, for the next couple of weeks, so my goal is just not to destroy the place while he's gone. Keep everything afloat until he gets back. Um, but today, um, we've got a lot to go over, so we're going to jump right in real quick. Um, I want to talk about our mindsets and our mentalities surrounding our days, our approach to our days. And we're going to look at the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. And, but in order to do this, in order to, to dive into this topic, we need to have a common understanding that much of our lives, much of how we process things, think, think about things, is affected by our culture. We're inundated by our culture, our surroundings, and, and the pervasive concepts of the society we live in. Just for today, I want us to try and, and distance ourselves from this because, and you might tell me, you know, you might go, well, David, I'm my own individual. Um, I, I don't like to adopt to the culture around me. I really try to push back and stand out, but I would argue that that's even a reflection of our culture because we live in a society which is fairly historically individualistic. And it says, okay, well, you're supposed to be your own individual. You're supposed to be self-made and kind of distance yourself. Just for today, I want to kind of take a step back from this, but just to give you an example of how quickly this can even change, uh, organized sports in America uh, is a relatively new thing when it comes to our youth. Uh, everyone is doing sports, and that's a relatively new thing, just since the 70s, the 80s. Uh, prior to that, you know, you, you had high school sports, you had maybe a football team and a basketball team, but, but now we've gotten to a place as a society where we have decided that all of our youth are gonna play organized sports. And if you talk to anybody in the youth group, they're doing basketball, they're doing football, they're doing baseball, they're doing volleyball, wrestling, track and field, and, and it's not just high school sports, it's middle school sports, it's little league, it's select leagues, it's even church leagues. There's, there's infinite numbers of leagues that you can participate in, and we have decided as a culture, just in the last 40 years, that we're going to have our kids be very competitive, be very driven and motivated. We're going we're gonna to teach them these lessons that come through sports, and that's not a bad thing, but that's just an example of how quickly a society can just collectively agree that we're going to do something. Um, all of our stars, all of our athletes, they give the same kind of interviews, all of our pop stars, they all talk about wanting to be the best. They all talk about putting in the time, being, working hard, and they all want to be the best. Everybody wants to be the GOAT. The new conversation is, you gotta be, you gotta be the GOAT. What is the GOAT? Greatest of all time. So, Tom Brady, clearly. Greatest of all time in the NFL quarterback. I mean, I used to fight that a lot, but I came to the conclusion after he won his last Super Bowl that, yeah, he probably is. But everybody wants to be the GOAT. But we have to prepare ourselves and we have to look at this and go, well, is this, is this the ways the teachings of Jesus? Is this what scripture teaches us? And, and I don't mean to be obtrusive or rude, but I think that sometimes our relationship with our days and our calendars and our, and our planning and our plotting and our scheming and we're preparing and our controlling and our, and our dictating and our focus and our passion and we're on the grind and we're working hard aren't necessarily what we see in Scripture. 
And we just got to prepare ourselves for, for what are we going to look at in Scripture. And I'm not saying that these are bad things. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to work hard. But maybe, maybe we've gotten so caught up as a society into planning things and plotting out everything and getting, getting everything lined up just so that we've kind of lost something along the way. How many of you in the last week have felt anxious? I'm curious. A lot of you. Um, a study by the National uh, American Alliance for Mental Health showed that uh, over four, 40 million Americans, just under 20%, suffer from an anxiety disorder. Um, so one out of five in this room, statistically, would ha have what would be considered an anxiety disorder. I'm willing to bet a lot more than that feel anxiety. We talk about it all the time. We talk about anxiety uh, all over the place. It's, it's a big, hot topic now, especially post-COVID. You know, anxiety rates were heightening, and, and churches talk about it all the time. Nobody, nobody hears a sermon on anxiety in 2022 and goes, oh, I can't relate. Here's another question. I, I wonder how many of you, and I'm so guilty of this, I wonder how many of you struggle when you don't have anything to do in any given day. I can't, I can't do it. I don't like myself. When, I, when I, I feel lazy, I'm like, oh man, I haven't done anything productive today just because I was resting. But our, our society, and that is, is, that's a reflection of our society, because as a society we said, well, you have to produce. In order to be of value in our culture, you have to produce something. So we go on and go on and go on and go on. And it's hard to even just rest sometimes. So we're going to look at a very famous passage of Scripture. A lot of people know this. It's from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. It'll be on the screen. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. By the way, you're going to see in this passage five times Jesus says, don't worry. So apparently when Jesus says something five times in one sitting, maybe it's something we need to pay attention to. He says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, who is one of the richest men the world has ever seen, even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray before we dive in. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this day, which is a gift 
from you. And Father, I, I ask that you would speak through Jesus' words in this passage, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Lord, just prepare us for, prepare our hearts for what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus says here, don't worry about your life. Some translations uh, say, forsake your worries. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, forsake your worries. There you go. I don't know. That was kind of weak. Say it again. One more time. Forsake your worries. Turn to your neighbor. Say, forsake your worries. There you go. That's better. Now, if you're like me, you're kind of bristle at this. Like, if somebody other than Jesus said, forsake your worries, I'd be like, um, who do you think you are? I have a long-term relationship with my worries. But I, I guess it's Jesus, so I, I better listen. But he says the reason that we're so worried, so one of the reasons is that you're consumed, chasing after things you don't need to be consumed worrying about. We go, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Or what am I going to wear? Now, I don't think Jesus is saying these three specific things. I think he's pointing to the things that we think we need in our life. The things, that, not even think, the things that we do need. We need to eat. We need to, to drink. We need to wear clothes. Please wear clothes. Um, <laughs> but I think we can take this further because there are other things that we need. I, I think Jesus is just pointing to the things that we need. Uh, for us single people, we wonder, when am I going to get married? When, when am I going to be financially stable? We need those things. Those are things that we need. This one. When am I going to go on vacation next? <laughs> Married couples wonder when they're going to have their first child. When am I going to save enough to be able to do this thing, or buy that thing, or, or get that thing that I need? The list could go on and on. We're preoccupied by these things. We chase after them because they're things that we need. But God says, hang on a second. Isn't, isn't that what the pagans do? Isn't that what the people who say that they don't believe in me do? They chase after these things. But you say you believe in me, right? So, And you, you know I, that I know you need those things. We become so preoccupied with planning and plotting and scheming. And God comes along and says... Hold up, you, you believe in me, right? And why are you worrying about these things? And then he goes on, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Some of us, me included, want to have the next year of our life planned out. We want to know when we're going to have vacation so that we can know when we're going to have some peace and quiet. Some people want to plan out their whole lives. They want to have their life planned. How many of you have had life plans where you're like, I'm going to do this thing by this age and this thing by this age and I'm going to do this and this and this. Some of you look to your parents. Uh, maybe they had a wonderful marriage and, and you're looking to your parents and you go, well, I want to be like that and I want to have a marriage that lasts for 30 years. Jesus just wants to help you be married today. Some of you want to have abundance. 
for your entire life, and you want to plan how you can do that. And Jesus wants you to be content today. When I look at Scripture, and you can correct me afterwards if I'm wrong on this, but when I look at Scripture, I don't see anywhere where God says or Jesus says that he will provide energy, strength, provision for tomorrow or the next day. He always says for today. I'll provide for you today. I mean, think about the, the, the nation of Israel. When, they, when, they, when God sent manna to feed the nation, he, did, he said, don't go out and collect for days and days and days. He said, collect for today because I want you to see that you can trust me, that I will provide today. Now, he'll tell you much about how he's in tomorrow. He'll tell you how he rules your tomorrow and how he covers your yesterday, your today, and your tomorrow. But he makes it very clear that he is always always available and present now. God is preoccupied with your right now. Are you? Or am I? For as much of our worry and our anxiety and our unsettledness got nothing to do with the things of today, but we get all worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. But God became man. He became man. He came into this world. And one of the things that he thought was important enough to tell us was that Today is enough. Today is enough. But we live in fear of tomorrow. Some of us can't enjoy the wonderful day because we predict or project that there will be painful days ahead. Some of us can't endure the painful days because we're trying to look to the future and we can't, we can't see any more beautiful or pleasurable days. Here's what I know about Jesus. He will give you strength to be who you are today, to wage war against that sin today, to fight that thing today. We, we have struggles in our life. We have things that we, we do that we don't want anybody to know about. We have proclivities and tendencies that we want to keep in the closet. I don't know. Everybody does. Mine is anger and some other stuff. Welcome to the club. And God wants to meet you in that today. It's not, it's not just provision it's, uh, for, for your physical needs. It's provision for your, your, all of your needs. Maybe you've been struggling and you're, you're trying to fight that thing in your life. And maybe you're not making... Decisions that honor God and there's there's conviction in your heart and you're wondering like and, and you try and make these long-term commitments like I, I never want to do this again. I never I never want to lie again. I never want to cheat again I never I never want to do this thing again and you make this heartfelt Commitment like God. Okay, please help me never do this again and then a, a, then a few weeks go by Maybe you look at something you shouldn't or you say something you shouldn't you know you should. And you feel the shame and the guilt, and it just feels defeating. And, and you meant it with a sincere heart, what happened? But what if we just slowed things down and took it a day at a time? One day at a time. Some of you are going, man, I just want to really overcome this thing in my life. Just do today. 
with God. Now, I know that's what AA teaches. I know that's what yoga instructors teach. But the one who originally taught it was Jesus. Jesus, the eternal one, seems more focused on our days than we are. Night and day mean nothing to God. God doesn't need the day. He invented the day for us. He created the day for us. Sun up, sun down. Scripture tells us that God has no need for sleep. He does not sleep. God does not have a bed or a pillow or a down comforter. I feel for him on that one. I love my comforter. So nice. But he understood that for us to function, we would need to get up and shut down. Get up and shut down. We need to have this 24-hour thing that we do. But we're so much on the grind as a society. We look down on people who, live, who don't live by their calendar and who, who just go with things because we're so driven, we're so motivated, we're so self-important. And from an early age, we encourage this. You know, it, we ask kids what they want to be when they grow up. And... and uh, you know, they'll come and they'll say, oh, I want to be a, a quarterback in the NFL and I want to be a firefighter at the same time. And we go, you go, buddy, because if, if you work super hard, you can do anything. You can be the best quarterback the NFL has ever seen and you can be a firefighter too. Like, are we going to keep doing this? Really? Like, as if this is the goal of life, we're going to keep making these huge plans because that's the be-all, end-all of life. Meanwhile, the God who filled the universe, the God who lives in a realm where there, time is not like it is down here. One day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. And he's like, guys, I kind of just hardwired you to do today. And what I'm going to do, because I'm a relational being, is I'm going to take the next step with you. Proverbs 16, 9 says, Man plans his whole ways, but God directs his steps. And we go, God, I want to know where I'm going in the next 30 years. I want to have my life plan and, and know when I'm going to do this. I'm, I, I don't want, want to know when I'm going to be married. And I want to know when I'm going to have enough to, to do that thing. And I, I want to know when I'm going to be able to retire. And I want to know. I want, I want to have everything planned out. And God says, yeah, I know those things. But you don't need to worry about it. I'm just going to help you do today. But we go, like, we, we belittle this. We go, just today? Today's just a Tuesday. Why do I care about my Tuesday? We're consumed by this. If we, if we ask that little kid, like, what do you want to do with your life? And, and that, that kid who wanted to be the, the quarterback and the firefighter, if he, if he came to us and said, yeah, I, I have school today, and I, I just hope it goes well, and I have a baseball game later, I really want to get a hit, he'd be like, he needs to get some dreams. We, we encourage these big, huge dreams as a society. I'm not saying that dreams are bad. I'm not saying that goals are bad. But it's not the be-all, end-all of our existence. It can't be. By the way, let me tell you what God says about our dreams. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask, think, or imagine. Which, 
I think a lot of us want to take that passage and, and make it like God's going to take your dream that you imagine for yourself and make it better. Like we, we imagine it like God's just going to sprinkle his special seasoning on top of your, your dream and like make it way better and cooler than it already was. But no, what I'm, I'm going to tell you, this, this scripture means is a really cool way of saying that God can implode your dreams. Like, you want to do this. You want to go live in sunny San Diego and you want to work this job. Oh, you're never going to do that. You're going to live in Vermont and you're going to work this job and you're, you're never going to do that. That's abundantly more than you can ask, think, or imagine. Because God's dreams are better than your dreams. A couple more observations from the text before we're done today. Jesus talks about birds and flowers in here. It's like, have you, have you gone and picked flowers recently? Have you gone bird watching? Because I want you to. I, I want you to be reminded of what I can do for the smallest, most in, in, seemingly insignificant things of my creation. Aren't, church, aren't you more valuable than a crow and a dandelion? You are. Just going to tell you that. You are. passage here, it, it talks about worry and anxiety it, it, it connected to our days, our mentality with a day, and our worry with whether we'll have our needs met. And I would suggest that one reason why anxiety seems to be intensifying for so many in our society is because we're caught up trying to live multiple days at once. We're trying to live in December today. We're, try, we're trying to live multiple days at once. And December may never come. That's, that's honest. You're worked up about things that A, may never happen, and B, you might not be there for them to happen too. You have now. You have right now. Are you here? Are you present? Or are you somewhere five years ago or somewhere five years from now? I love what Jesus does here. He's, he's so honest and, and direct. He, he doesn't tell you that if you just are present in today, you, you won't have any problems. He doesn't say that. He says, you know, uh, today has enough troubles of its own without adding the next day or the next day or the next day. Like, just do today. Just focus on today. God is in your yesterday and tomorrow, but Scripture makes it very clear that he wants to be with you now. And now. And now. All of your todays, all of your right now. We go, today? Today is just an escalator to my future. <laughs> you heard that one? I've heard it from a few of my, my people in my life. They're like, oh, today is just the path to get to the next place. It doesn't really mean anything. It's just it's another day for self-improvement, for, for, for getting to that thing. Not to God. But if you're like me, on the painful days, you just want to get through. And on the pleasurable days, on the good days, you start to get unnerved because what if something bad happens? Because even on the good days, our minds 
start to wander and you wonder, will it stay good? Will it be good tomorrow? So, so we build constructs. We've built constructs like, oh man, if I'm good today, I can guarantee my tomorrow. Boy, that's not true. That's not true at all. And Jesus, what does he say? He says, tomorrow might be tough. Just do today. But we belittle a lot of days like it's a nuisance. And, and yet God, in his mystery and magnificence, says he wants to be in step with you today. He wants to take the next step with you. What if we, as a community, what if Maple Park built a community that recognized what today really is? Spreading into our friends and our neighborhoods. What if we all just began to slow down and recognize that today is just a chance to walk with God, to talk with God, to move with Him, to not, not worry about next month or, or next year, just be with a God who is always present now. Let's treat our Wednesdays like our middle of the week that we can't wait to get over so that we feel that we're on the downward slope. Let's treat the Wednesdays like the miracle that it is. The fact that you're here is amazing. The fact that you woke up is amazing. It's by God's grace. Someday, we'll pass into a an eternal realm. The realm that made this realm. And this, the things that are in this temporary realm, we'll realize, I think, that a lot of the things we worry about mean nothing in light of eternity. But we chase after trophies and applause and accolades that mean nothing in light of eternity. We've told ourselves that just living day to day is for the people with extreme circumstances like addiction. That's what we've relegated it to. For the rest of us, we jam our calendars full because we're achievers, and then we wonder why we're so fearful and worked up and, and worried all the time. Verse 34 of our text is amazing. It says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. And, and we go, cool, 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 cool. But how? And this is, this is the meat of it. Verse 34 is made possible by verse 33. Because if, if I just say to myself, hey, don't worry about tomorrow, I might do it for a day. I might do it for two days. But if tomorrow or the next day gets kind of stressful, I'm just going to be right back to where I was. Verse 34 is made possible by verse 33. 633 says, but seek first the kingdom. Some translations say, instead of seek first, they say above all. So I wonder if this is important. But first... Foremost, above all, seek the kingdom. Fill your day, fill your thoughts with the realm of God's kingdom and his righteousness. The righteousness that is God. But first, don't plan it. But first, I'll put it on your calendar. Above all, preoccupy yourself with the king and his domain. There's a king in town. There's a king who rules over today, your right now. He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's 
omnipresent, which means he is all places at all times. He is omniscient, which means he knows everything. He knows every hair on your head. He knows everything. God is king. He's king. He's a different kind of king. Jesus was the embodiment of the king in human form, and he did not act like a king would act down here. He did not act like a president would act down here. He came to serve, not to be served. He's a king that serves. He's a king that walks. He's a king that works with us. He's a king that converses with us. He wants relationship with you today. Scripture tells us, seek first the king and his domain because there is a king right here, right now, in this room, with you, and he cares about your day. There's not one aspect of this domain that is not under his control, his lordship, his determination. Scripture tells us that the heart of the king is in his hands because he is the king of all kings. And that his realm is far more real and lasting and important than anything in this world. And he wants to partner with you today. So think about this king. Think, Scripture tells us, think about this king. Spend your days thinking about this king. And this is the last point. His righteousness. The righteousness that proceeds from him. Now, this word righteousness speaks to the gift that has been given because of Jesus' death on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5 21 talks about the righteousness that this verse is talking about. It says, and, and it's vital to our faith. It's, it's some of the most important things to our faith. It says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Became and become. Became and become might be the two most <coughs> important words for us. Christ became sin so that you and I might become righteousness. Righteousness is your standing with God. It means you are perpetually, eternally, continually in right relationship with God. So I'm here to tell you that you can be in right relationship with a God who cares about you, who cares about your day. Jesus and I, we're always right. And it's not because of anything that I did. He accomplished that. He did that. So I don't have to wake up in fear because I know that I am in right relationship with him. I can wake up each day knowing that I am the righteousness in Christ. Which means that every day I can wake up and think about his kingdom. And not be in fear, but be encouraged. The righteousness that has been given to me God says, wake up and remember that I am king and that I am powerful and that I am in control and that I love you and that the relationship with me is good and that it's right and that his face is shining on you because Christ became sin so that you and I might become righteousness. So why are Christians so worried about tomorrow as everybody else Everyone else on the planet. And I would 
I would venture that many of us still worry. We know that we've been saved by grace, but many of us wake up and still worry that now that we've been saved, we got to keep it good. we got to keep ourselves in right standing with God. That it's something that we do now to stay in this good zone. Many Christians still struggle with that day to day. Because as a society, we say that your, your value is what you do. Your value is what you produce. And so we get it drilled into our head every day. But it's not that way with Christ. Your value is not what you do. Your value is not what you produce in the relationship with Him. The value is entirely what He did. You're in right relationship with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I'm here to tell you, the sixth thing that He said on the cross is, it is finished. It's done. How bad is it? You're still right with God. How dumb have you been? You're still right with God. How stupid was that decision? You're still right with God. The king above all kings, leader above all leaders, you're still in right relationship with him. So what does that mean? It means that on Monday, when we wake up tomorrow, if we wake up tomorrow, you can remind your Monday of who you are. You're part of the king's court. You're part of the king's family, and you're accepted, and you're righteous, and you're loved, and you don't have to live in fear of your tomorrow because you're in right relationship with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the gift that is today. I thank you that you want to walk with us. Lord, it's not by anything that we do it is only by your grace and your goodness that you walk with us. Lord, let us just remember that. All of our right nows, every single now that you give us, let us remember your son and his death and what he accomplished. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.